0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Artifacts. I'm your host, Maris Dickens, and today's guest is pastry chef Chad Conklin. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Thanks for coming on Artifacts. I'm excited to have you on.
1: As am I. Thank you for having me.
0: So I met Chad through his desserts. Let's get started. So are you from Toledo or where are you from?
1: I'm originally from Flint, Michigan.
0: Okay. Okay. What was your earliest memory with food?
1: Probably when I was extremely little, my mother had a a strawberry garden and I would go out in the mornings and sit in the middle of it and just pick and eat strawberries. Uh, didn't matter if they were red, they could have been white. They could have been green. It didn't matter. Um, I'd just sit there all day and eat strawberries. And it's probably the first memory that I have really of, of my love of food.
0: Mm -hmm. Strawberries are my favorite fruit. So how fitting. (laughs) (laughs) So what made you decide that you wanted to go into this career of of food and desserts? And was it a quick, like, Oh, I want to do this or what kind of introduced you to this whole world of, I could be a chef and a pastry chef for that matter.
1: (laughs) It was kind of weird the way that it all developed, because I started off as a musician. Then I got into engineering. Then I got into building and racing cars. And when I got married, my wife didn't really know how to cook. So I did all the cooking. And when I went through my divorce, I just needed something new, something fresh. And all my friends were like, Well, you know, we should get into cooking. And at the time I owned a logistics company. And on the bottom floor of the building was an empty restaurant. And I kept telling my partner, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna open a restaurant. I'm gonna open a restaurant. And I actually ended up selling my half of the company to my partner with the intent of buying this restaurant. And then I realized I didn't know what I was doing. I had never been professionally trained as a chef or a restaurateur. So I decided that, you know, I'll go take a couple years of culinary school, you know, see what it's all about, and then I'll be ready to go. It's not quite how it went. I went to culinary school, enjoyed it more than I ever thought I would. And in the process, the idea of starting a restaurant got pushed to the to the side as I became more and more involved with teaching culinary arts and heading down that path. And the more I, uh, you know, just fell in love with teaching and reaching kids through food, the less and less I wanted to do a restaurant and the more and more I wanted to impact lives through, you know, food. And that's kind of what's really led me here. That's what has driven the passion is, you know, is sharing it with people and teaching other people to to be able to do it so that they can share it with people and, you know, achieve their dreams and goals. And it's kind of a a whirlwind of a story. But, you know, it's it's how I am here now.
0: I think food is such a communal thing because you eat with people, you eat a restaurant, you know, and I think that's really cool that you're trying to bring food to other people and just teach people how to do this everyday thing that we need to survive, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Food doesn't just have to be about sustaining our bodies. It's it's about so much more than that. And you know, some of the populations that I work with, teenagers and kids with autism, one of my favorite populations that I work with. And it's amazing how many of them you can reach through food. And it's just it's incredible to see their personalities come out and their their ability to be so artistic and sometimes they even wow themselves with what they can do. And mm-hmm. to think that we did it with food seems non-traditional, but yet, like you said, it's so global. It's so universal mm-hmm. that why not? It, it seems like it should work and it does.
0: What other populations do you work with besides kids with autism?
1: Um, I've worked with uh, troubled youth
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, helping to keep them out of trouble, getting them into a better path in life, uh, helping them, you know, gain self-respect and confidence in what they do, teaching them a skill and a trade that they can go out. I mean, as you know, every restaurant in the world is hiring right now, it seems. These kids now have opportunities to go out and be a line cook for a while and possibly work up to a sous chef and then an executive chef position, or maybe, you know, look at going to a culinary school. There's so many more fields that Food relates to, you know, they can go be dieticians, nutritionists, they can get into, you know, production of food like for Kellogg's or Nabisco, uh, food safety, uh, food science, agriculture. And if we can just spark a little bit in them to get them to change their path, you know, all of a sudden their lives are different. And I've worked with the elderly, I've worked with people who have recently become handicapped veterans of foreign wars and uh, man, just so many different populations, because I wanted to learn as much as I could about, you know, human behavior and the way that people learn and working with these different populations, you know, what can I take from what worked with population X and, you know, will it work with population Y, for example, and then from each population, I learned something. You know, it's just not me teaching them. I get so many things back in return. It's a real fun two-way street for both parties to, to really learn and to advance and to find common ground through food. And it's just amazing.
0: Out of all those experiences, what's a common thing that you've learned? You think
1: Everybody loves food. <laughs> they really do. It, it, you know, it may take you a while to find out what they love, but you will find it. And it may be as simple as grilled cheese. One of my autistic students that was obsessed with grilled cheese sandwiches, and now he runs a food truck that does nothing but grilled cheese. <laughs> it's very successful because there are many other people out there that, hey, I just want a really good cheese. I'm, I'm one of them, you know? Like I said, it may mean, take a while to find out what they love, but man, once you do, and everybody has a love, whether it's a sweet tooth, a savory tooth, deep down inside, we all love it. Mm-hmm. We know we do. <laughs> yes.
0: Can you describe in like a typical day, if you were teaching, like, where do you even begin? Like what techniques or what, what do you focus on? Because there's so much. Uh,
1: Yeah. It depends on the population that I'm teaching. There was a time I did a princess party. It was a 35 year old girls and we just taught them how to make cupcakes. So when you start a class like that, you want to do something very basic. So it was a, it was a box cake mix, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, simple things that just had just a few ingredients to where when you teach at a college level, it's completely different. There's so much technique involved and uh, knowledge that needs to be gained and flavor bouncing and profiling and manipulating texture. It goes so much more in depth at that type of level with like the autistic kids and the kids, the troubled youth it was more about you know learning how to read a recipe how to write a budget how to go grocery shopping how to use something other than the microwave to cook you know all of these different elements it wasn't so much about well, the food science or these types of things it was just more about your how does this happen in everyday life for me most of them don't aspire to be chefs but they want to learn how to cook so i'm not going to get into the great details and the nitty gritty it's going to be more about okay if I want spaghetti meatballs, how do I find a good recipe? What is a sausage? How is pasta made? Can I make my own pasta? Things of that nature. And then breaking it down to where they can budget for that. Eventually, they're going to be hopefully self-sustaining adults with jobs. And you know they're going to have to learn how to budget for food. We don't want them out eating at Taco Bell every day because it's quick and it's convenient and it's cheap. We want to teach them you know, how to take care of themselves you know, and those around them it's never too early to start talking about sustainability. With children, I feel it's, it's more important to impact them about not using styrofoam. Okay. Making sure that their parents are recycling their plastics and their glass, but not only that, get them into the mindset of buying local, to shop local, to meet local farmers and buying from the smaller grocery stores and things of that nature and learning to build those relationships so that, they understand where food comes from. You know, when my parents grew up, they knew where the corn came from because it was, you know, farmer John down the road, or, you know, they knew where their milk came from and all these different, and we've lost touch with that. It's important to reach people on a sustainable level so early, you know, the impacts of fishing for tuna and what it's doing to the the populations and and, and that's like a whole nother career and conversation that we could have for hours. It's just about food sustainability and how it works.
0: We're so distanced from that. And that's where the disconnect comes from, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think right now it's, it seems to be just getting worse and worse and worse. You know, people will go and they'll, they'll go to Starbucks and they'll buy their $7 latte, but they don't think about, all right, where, where did that bean come from? Who harvested it? What land did it grow on? And when you start, you know, looking into these things like they did with the textile industry, they learned that a lot of countries were using children, child labor to do these things. And we've come to find out that cocoa farms and vanilla bean farms and things of this nature, you know, they're using child labor for that. And it's our responsibility, you know, to make sure that we're not promoting that. That's an important message to get out as well is to think so much further beyond the plate than we are. I realize that I'm just one person, but what can I do? Mm -hmm. And as an instructor, I have a voice that can reach, maybe it's 30 in a class, but if they share that with 10 of their friends, it can just snowball from there.
0: Besides sustainability aspect, what other advice do you give your students?
1: If you love what you do, you will never work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, you know, even if it's not food, find what you love. And Alan Watts, just a great human being, great speaker, great philosopher. And he always asks people, what would you do if money was no object? What would you do? And then go do that. That's universal, regardless of whether they're in food, whether they want to be an athlete or an author or an artist, go do what you love to do. And you will be successful at it. And I think that's... The one thing that I can teach them the most now, when it comes to food, create what you love as well, create what you would want to eat, do the things that excite you the most about food. I don't think there's anything more disheartening than making food that you don't love to make when you're just there 10 hours a day, doing the grind, working in a pizza place. And if you don't like pizza, what are you doing there? What is it do you love to do for me? It's, it's pastry. And I didn't realize that at first I did savory cooking for years, but I've always loved desserts since I was a kid. Yeah. And so it took a long time to finally find that real true passion. I mean, I love food, but it was like, when I found that, that one thing, I'm like, yep, yep this is on it.
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> on your niche.
1: Yep. For sure.
0: So how is it then being a pastry chef, like along your process, is it a certain ingredient that you want to work with or a certain flavor you want to capture? Is it all the above?
1: Yes, <laughs> like the process, all, of the like, above.
0: all of the above. All the above.
1: I mean, I can see a painting that will inspire a plating and it's like, okay, how do I bring those colors to the plate? What ingredients can I manipulate? You know, sometimes it's somebody else's favorite dish. Okay. Hey, what is it that you love the most? And then I'll go and I'll make that and I'll try to make it the best version they've ever had. (laughs) Sometimes it's through curiosity. I've never made this before, or I don't know this particular technique. So I'm going to work on this until I understand it. For a prime example, when I was at Kalamazoo Valley community college teaching, we had our own bees and we had our own hops that they were using for the brew program, beer brewing. And I was down there and the bees were right next to the hops and I'm tasting the honey from the bees. And I'm like, man, it tastes really hoppy. And they're like, Oh, that's cause the hops are right here. And as we know, taste is 90% smell. Mm-hmm. So I assumed because the hops are right here, I'm smelling it. It's flavoring the honey quote unquote. <laughs> well, the next morning when I was in the kitchen, you know, hundreds of yards away from the hops themselves, I was tasting the honey and I'm like, I'm still getting the hops. And so I was talking to the beekeeper and he goes, well, that's because this colony of bees is what pollinates them hops. Mm -hmm. And therefore it's actually infusing that flavor into their honey. And immediately I'm like, okay, this needs to be a dessert, hop and honey. And so we did a hop and honey ice cream. We did a hop and honey sponge cake, candied walnuts, um, and we canned them in the honey. Wow. So, inspiration in that matter, you know, just like with any artist, you never know when it's going to capture you. I was listening to the radio the other day, and I heard a song on the radio that mentioned food, and it immediately made me think of things. And I'm like, oh, you know, peaches and and maple syrup and brown sugar and molasses and all these things start going through your head, and then you start thinking. Okay, with that being said, where do I go from here? And that's where you start getting into building your flavor profile. Ingredient X only goes with, you know, so many things. And therefore, you start to build that profile. Red wine and white beans are actually a great pairing. And then you can bring white chocolate into that. And then you can bring apples into that and all these different things and then you start manipulating textures. Do I want my apple just to be an apple, or do I want it to be a gelée? Do I want it to be an apple mousse? Do I want it to be an apple cake? And then you start dealing with textures, and then you start thinking about colors. It's
0: like you know, filling the blank. Nature,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. When nature paints the sunset, it's not always the same. And why should our plates all be the same? Because then you can take all that and say, okay, but do I want it with an Asian influence? Do I want it with a South American influence? So now you have all these different things and it's almost endless. Everything's a possibility. I have notebooks that are just full of drawings and sketches and flavor profiles. And sometimes when I had a pop-up restaurant, we did a, a tasting menu called Homage and it was seven courses and it was all courses by seven of my favorite chefs. I duplicated them to as much exact science as I could in honor of them. And in the process, you know, I learned the techniques that they used to create them. So it was also a learning process. So, you know, inspiration, creativity comes from everywhere. You know that. (laughs) Yes. I want to touch
0: on, you had a dish there. It's called smoked s'more. Yes. And I asked you, like, why does chefs have to deconstruct dishes?
1: Yeah. For example, the, the take five candy bar is one of my favorites, but I've eaten that a thousand times that way. I know what that tastes like. You have to imagine that we take all the ingredients out of that candy bar. I'm going to have chocolate. I'm going to have my pretzels. I'm going to have my peanut butter, etc. And I can separate that and pull them apart, deconstruct it. And then I can look at each individual ingredient as its own unique thing. So now I can look at, okay, the peanut butter and a take five is basically just peanut butter. And my dish, again, do I want it to be a mousse? Do I want it to be an ice cream? Do I wanna turn it into a powder and do a peanut butter powder? Now I have the, the opportunity to give you different textures, to give you different profiles. You know, could we do a pistachio one instead? Could we do an almond peanut butter? Could we do X, Y, or Z? And then when we plate it, we can also get way more creative. If I come out and I hand you a candy bar, you're gonna be like, all right, it's a candy bar. But if I can deconstruct it and turn it into a city landscape, if you will, or a skyscape, I can make it more beautiful on a plate. And then what you have as a consumer is you have the ability to pick and choose how you consume it. So if you take that Take Five candy bar, The first bite tastes exactly like the second one, the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one, et cetera, where when it's deconstructed, you can think to yourself, well, I want 80% chocolate and 20%, you know, peanut butter and no pretzel in this bite. Mm -hmm. And then the next one, you can be like, I just want pretzel and peanut butter. You have the ability to, for lack of a better term, play with your food. It gives you the chance to build the flavor profiles that you want to taste. It gives you the chance to experience each individual texture on its own. And it just creates an opportunity to have so much more fun with food. Now, with the with the s'more idea, it wasn't so much about deconstructing as it was about the smoking. And Mm -hmm. we all associate s'mores with summer. We associate them with campfires roasting marshmallows, things of that nature. And what that dish does is it plays on all that. So you've had it, you know, that when we bring it out, it's smoked underneath a cloche. And when we pull that cloche up, the smoke goes all across the dining room. And you can hear other tables. Get excited about it because it's starting to trigger their memories. It's starting to trigger, I can't ever think of a time I had a s'more that I wasn't happy (laughs) <laughs> you know? And because of that, it just starts to trigger that. It brings out, you know, that childhood or, you know, those memories. And you're like, oh, campfires. You know, I, I remember this time I was around the campfire was so, so, and so, and it just brings all that back. It's like um, you're triggering
0: like an emotional response with your desserts.
1: Absolutely. Again, that's another thing that food can do. My mother loved to make apple pies. And every time I smell apples cooking, I think of my mother, like without even thinking about it, she just, the, the thoughts of her being in the kitchen, cooking those apple pies, me scarfing them down, the conversations that we would have over a slice of pie, all of that immediately rushes in. And it's, it's no different, like with a piece of art or a piece of music, there are pieces of music that I hear and I'm immediately taken back to that point in time in my life. And the same thing with art. There's pictures that I've seen, even like in nature, a sunset, and you see one that's close to it. And all of a sudden you remember the other ones that were like this one. It takes you through time and space, or even like a good novel, you know, that you read 10 years ago. When you read it again, 10 years later, you remember everything that was going on in your life Mm -hmm. the first time you read it, even though it wasn't related to the book. It's just, it all interacts like that and i think that's why it's just so fascinating
0: so with all this food talk is food art and if so what makes it art
1: uh, absolutely without a doubt i mean if you've seen my plates if you've seen the plates of chef jan lejar and the stuff that alinea does uh, chef akitz and daniel hum at 11 madison i mean just the way they create a plate is artwork We're not even talking textures and flavor profiles yet. We're talking just on a plate. It is gorgeous. Back in the day, it was, you know, I'm going to slap down a bunch of pasta on the plate and put it out and it was just pasta and that's what you ate, which there's nothing wrong with that. Trust me there. But we've elevated to to an art form. We have cake decorators that do amazing things. I'm not one of them. But if you look at cakes online, that is art. It's just their canvas is food. My canvas is a plate. When you start getting into textures, it was kind of interesting. I did a, a tasting menu and I did a, a plate that was chocolate in 17 different textures. Oh and one of the people that I came know in- know there were
0: 17 different textures. <laughs> yeah. It.
1: yeah, it was a lot of work, let me tell you. <laughs> but one of the customers that came in was blind. And his whole life, is about texture to him, even Braille. That's a texture, that's how he reads. And he said to me, and I'll never forget it, he was like, this is the first time I've ever touched food. He's like, I've handled food, but now for the first time in my mouth, I'm actually touching it. And I never really looked at it that way. I like different textures on a plate because I like to have something crunchy. When I do a mousse or I do a sauce, you know i strain it three or four times i want it perfectly smooth but he couldn't see the beauty on the plate but he could feel the textures in his mouth and like he said it was the first time i've ever really touched food to me that's an art to transform a peach into something that's no longer a peach yeah i mean there's so many different ways that it's an art form from understanding the science to the canvas that you choose, to the colors that you choose, to the inspiration behind it. You know, the great late Anthony Bourdain, I don't think there's a person in this industry that doesn't love, adore, and miss him. The things that he did for this industry and just his earthly wisdom, uh, he was a sage. And when they did Anthony Bourdain Day, which is his birthday, it's a national holiday, mostly only celebrated by us chefs. When I was in Providence, Rhode Island, going to school, he came and did a lecture and I was fortunate enough to get up early that morning and I was walking around campus and I ran into it and I got to have the chance to go get coffee with him. And for 45 minutes, we sat there and I learned so much from him in that 45 minutes. I mean, it was just astounding Amazing. and it wasn't about food. It was just about life and the impact that food has on it. And it was just incredible. But while we were sitting there, the Harborside campus overlooks the bay. And we got to see this beautiful sunrise. And then all of a sudden, the the sun just turned to this amazing orange. And he goes, I think that's my favorite color ever. And I never forgot that. And so for Anthony Bourdain day, I took one of my dishes that I spray paint in chocolate and I tried to replicate that orange and I spray painted one of my heart entremes, this beautiful orange, and I put it on a plate and using, you know, meringues and different types of ingredients. I tried to recreate that, that sunset on a plate in tribute for him. And that's art. To me, it's no different. Composing a dish is no different than composing a symphony. You know, because like I said before, I was a musician in my younger days. You know, it's one thing to write a piece of music on a piano or a guitar, but to have the ability to add a flute and a violin and percussion takes it to this whole different level. And to me, that's how I see a plate is it's okay, it's not just one thing that I'm working with. I'm just not putting a peach on a plate. I'm taking all these other ingredients, all these different components and putting it together and composing a dish that should and hopefully will hit you in all the right places. You know, the palate, the heart, the soul, the memory. I want you to walk away, you know, thinking, man, I'm speechless. And if I can do that, that's an art form. I mean, we could talk about it as art a thousand different ways. I mean,
0: I you know, love it, though. Over- like being resourceful, sustainable, creative, using all your components. It's like, like you said, putting a song together, making a sentence. It's like and then also at the end, eliciting an emotion from whoever's eating it.
1: Yeah, because, you know, it, it the way that you just said it was perfect. You know, you said it's like creating a sentence. And with that dish, I wanted to have an exclamation point at the end of it. I don't want it to be a period, you know? no
0: comma or dot dot dot.
1: I don't want a question mark. You know, did I like this <laughs> question mark? I want it to be bam. Now I don't know if I've perfected it yet, but hopefully one day. Yeah. Of course, Thomas Keller says there's no such thing as perfection, and I have to agree. But
0: yes, and I've tried your desserts, and I think you've you've hit you've got that uh, exclamation point for me for <laughs> sure. Well, I want to shift to rapid fire questions before we end this because I have a couple I really like, and I think you'll like them too. Favorite dessert
1: for me to consume or to make both Uh, my favorite dessert to consume is probably my mother's apple pie. Unfortunately, she passed a couple of years ago and I spent some time trying to replicate that. Let me tell you, it's probably not the greatest dessert I've ever had. You know, I mean, I've eaten at Michelin star restaurants, but because of the memories and everything we talked about before that's attached to it, by far my favorite, my favorite thing to make Again, it goes back to what do you want? What's your favorite dessert? Let me make that. Make it the best you've ever had. Challenge accepted. And to me, that's what makes that fun. There's not one thing that I enjoy making more than the other. From a technical standpoint, it's more about that exclamation point. Mm
0: -hmm. Favorite guilty pleasure?
1: Hmm. (laughs) has to be creme anglaise Mm. years ago when i was in uh culinary school back in grand rapids Michigan, my pastry instructor chef gilles and i did a yule log at the time i was mentoring for big brothers big sisters and they did a bake sale to raise money around christmas time so him and i created a yule log and we had a quart container of creme anglaise left over and I'm like, well, what are you going to do with this? And he's like, oh, I'll take it home. You know, the school's closed for the winter break. Just go ahead and take it home. I would literally sit there and drink it out of that quart container while I watched TV.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Just, and, and, you know, it's basically just eggs, cream, vanilla, sugar. And it just, oh, I mean, I could just, it's so bad. It's so bad. Even more than chocolate.
0: Really? But,
1: yeah. Yeah. But you got to remember, though, that creme anglaise, it's like your base for ice creams. It's your base for pastry creams. It's your base for so many things because it's just so amazing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's my guilty pleasure.
0: (laughs) One kitchen tool that you can't live without.
1: Immersion blender.
0: Okay.
1: Or a strainer, a fine mesh sieve, or probably my little tiny offset spatula. This this little guy right here. Oh my gosh,
0: on your shoulder.
1: Yeah. yeah. Or 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 maybe my tweezers. I (laughs) pick your pick.
0: What's the hardest ingredient to work with?
1: Ooh. Man, honestly, probably chocolate. Really? It's super easy, like with the souffle batter. We just melt it into the batter. Easy peasy. Move on to the next task. However, if you're gonna start tempering chocolate to make bonbons. Oh, yeah, if you're going to temper chocolate, it's such a science. And I mean, if you don't have, you know, your T's crossed and your I's dotted, you're never going to get that chocolate to temper right. It can be so finicky. And that's what makes it extremely difficult. The second thing would probably be sugar. And in regards to doing like sugar work, you know, creating sculptures or to creating hard candies and pulling sugar, extremely difficult, even sometimes to make caramels properly. It's a finicky ingredient too. So probably those two. Yeah.
0: Hmm. What four ingredients are necessary in your station that you have to have at all times?
1: Uh, eggs. Eggs. Without a doubt. Um, if you look at, oh, almost everything I do has eggs. in I mean, from meringues to uh, cakes, to the creme anglaise, to, I mean, they're in everything. As a pastry chef, we obviously have to have chocolate. You know, when people think pastry, it's one of the first things they think is chocolate. Flour, multiple varieties of flour. I think right now I have seven or eight different types of flour back there. I have graham flour, I have all purpose, I have cake flour, bread flour, gluten-free flours, huge staple in what we do as a pastry chef, and heavy cream. Mm. It would have to be the fourth one because it's it's what makes our whipped creams. It's what we add to our mousselines. It's what we add to creme anglaise. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, there was a, uh, the fifth one if I had to say would be butter. But, uh, I read a great quote the other day that said, if it wasn't for butter and it wasn't for cream, there'd be no reason to go to France <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's so true. Um, uh, but yeah, those, that's, that's what I'd have to have.
0: If you could prepare a dish for anyone, who would it be? And what would you make?
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm trying not to get choked up. Um... Because it would be apple pie with mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just one more time.
0: Yeah. And then when you're not busy in the kitchen, what do you like to do for yourself?
1: I'm sorry. What am I not busy in the kitchen? I, know. <laughs> um, I love to fish.
0: Hmm.
1: It's kind of my time to spend with nature. Uh, it's also my time to get away from everybody else. A lot of times when I go fishing, it's by myself. So there's a lot of solace in that and a lot of, you know, peace and quiet and, you know, just, it's just so much fun. Sometimes I sit there in the kayak and I don't even fish, you know, yeah. I just enjoy the nature that's around me, uh, sitting out in a nice thunderstorm in the middle of the lake. I don't recommend this <laughs> parental advisory at the bottom, Yeah. Um, but there's nothing like being on the lake in the middle of a thunderstorm. And then probably, I think every great chef goes through a period where they give up on food. Like we get burnout, we, we lose touch with, I mean, it's not, I'm not seeing every one of us, but it just seems like we all hit like this, you know, whether it's due to personal circumstances or a chef we worked for that we didn't like, or, you know, you're doing the line cook thing for so long, making the same things. And during that time, I went back to school to get my master's degrees. Um, I got two of them. And during that time I got into bowling of all things. And the town I was living in at the time, that's all we had to do was there was a bowling out. So we started bowling. And from there, it turned into me taking over the empty pro shop. So for four years, I was running a pro shop, I was helping coach the high school bowling team. Uh, actually, after this interview, when I get done, I'm actually going bowling, I got the balls in the, the truck. <laughs> so that that's my way of socializing with people that aren't in the restaurant. That's probably what I'd be doing.
0: I love bowling. I'm terrible at it, but I love going. Cause I feel like bowling alleys are just so stuck in time. Like they haven't really, I love the shoes. They're really modernized too. Like they're just, you know, chill place. Well, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing your journey, what you've been doing and your passion. I really just feel your, I love people who are just passionate about what they do. It really inspires me totally. So
1: yeah, I, I appreciate it. And it's, it's nice to talk to people, you know, that have that same kind of passion. It doesn't have to be for the same thing,
0: yeah. you know,
1: but just passionate people. They're fun to listen to, yes. you know, you can just sit back and let them ramble for hours and just, That's
0: why I, I love it. I love asking people questions about their work and processes. I just get like to sit back and get inspired. I get my own little free show of just. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Listening.
0: Thank you to everyone who's been listening in and stay tuned for another episode next month.